Greetings humans and welcome to another edition of Lefteris Asks Science. I can safely say that at the moment of recording we are all having a pretty weird time. The coronavirus is sweeping the planet and a lot of countries have imposed quarantines and many of us are working from home at best. This will be another different episode since I've wanted to ask questions about this virus. However, not only there have been many informative videos online about what is this virus and how it works, at the same time, the people that know more about the virus are quite busy at the moment, don't you think? Uh, they're busy dealing with this, and the last thing that they would need to do is answer questions to a new podcast. However, my curiosity drove me to a different place. I started reading about how we deal with the situation currently, and how is humanity prepared to deal with these global pandemics. In this episode, I've managed to meet Dr. Samantha Montano. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Loyola University in New Orleans, and a master's degree and a PhD in emergency management from North Dakota State University. She is currently an assistant professor of emergency management and disaster science at the University of Nebraska-Omaha. We are both working from home in different sides of the planet, but she was kind enough to answer some of my questions about how theoretically we should deal with situations like these. So let's start with the basics. What is disaster management? So disaster management or emergency management, they mean the same thing. It is essentially everything that you're doing before, during, and after disasters. Um, so we kind of separate it into four different phases. So we have uh, hazard mitigation, which is related to trying uh, to prevent disasters from happening. We have preparedness, which is getting ourselves ready for disasters when they happen. Then we have response, which is related to kind of those life-saving measures that you need to do once a disaster is unfolding. And then we have recovery, so putting everything back together. Um, so we encompass a substantial uh, amount of things here. Um, there are obviously contributions that are made by just about every single discipline um, and every type of profession when it comes to disasters. And so really the role of emergency management is kind of to create a, a framework uh, to understand all of these different tasks and um, at various stages to kind of try to coordinate those various efforts across disciplines and professions. So imagine a community-wide disaster like a big flood. Disaster management is the principle that is going to help organize all of the people that need to be alerted in order to make this disaster as manageable as possible so that the local community feels the effects less. They'll call the firefighters, the police if they need to close some roads and they're flooding, some local organizations that might be able to help shelter people, the department that will be dealing with fixing the problem, etc. In this moment, however, the disaster isn't a natural one. It's the coronavirus, or COVID-19. Dr. Montano explained that disaster managers, when they plan courses of action, they group different disasters together and see what uh, are the many things that they have in common between the catastrophes, no matter what's the cause. That's what they call an all-hazard approach. 
So I wanted to know how this global pandemic fits that framework. We use the word disaster all the time, but actually not every disaster is a disaster. There's uh, four different types of what we call hazard events. Uh, there's emergencies, disasters, catastrophes, and complex humanitarian crises. Um, and so usually what you like probably what comes to mind first when you think of a disaster is something like a hurricane. Usually that's a disaster. Sometimes it's a catastrophe. Um, in the United States, for example, um, we've had two catastrophic events in modern U.S. history, uh, Hurricane Katrina and the levee failure in New Orleans, and then most recently Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Um, all the other hurricanes we've had, even when they're really, really bad, still fall within this category of disaster. Um, internationally, uh, some examples would be the Haiti earthquake in 2010 is obviously a, a catastrophic event, the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, um, and then smaller events that you've had locally probably fall within that disaster category. Emergencies are things like large apartment fires, again, things that are handled more locally. And uh, the, the importance in distinguishing between these different size events is that the way you manage an emergency is different from the way you manage a disaster, which is different from the way you manage a catastrophe. Um, it involves different people, different organizations, the way they go about approaching the needs in those communities looks different. Um, and so it actually is really important to kind of, from a, that management perspective, to distinguish what category of event we're in. So uh, this pandemic, and I'll just talk about the U.S. here, since that's what I'm most focused on. This looks uh, maybe possibly different country to country, but uh, in the U.S. right now, this is not an emergency, not a disaster, not a catastrophe. It's actually that fourth category. It's a complex humanitarian crisis. Um, these events are very unusual in the United States, um, but this is uh, things like famines, uh, refugee crises, uh, those kind of long term events again, kind of again, re regardless of cause, whether natural or man made, um, are falling into the, this fourth category. And I would argue that this pandemic uh, falls into that category. Um, and that requires, a, you know, a, a different way of, of managing the situation as it unfolds, uh, as compared to, you know, the way we would manage a tornado or a hurricane. COVID-19 is not the first virus that has traveled humanity. SARS and Ebola are the recent examples that, however, didn't create the worldwide widespread problems that the coronavirus has. Obviously, in some countries, the situation was much, much worse than others, but it didn't reach a point similar to now with the coronavirus. So how come COVID-19 has reached this state it has now? We'll have to kind of retroactively look back and see exactly where these points are, but you can already kind of see where uh, decisions were not made correctly or uh, issues were not taken seriously or the wrong decisions were made or they weren't made quickly enough uh, that have led us down this path to now being in the situation where we're in now, which is, uh, you know, a much more 
severe situation than it needed to be um, or that it could have been if those correct actions had been taken going back several weeks and months ago. I think something that's really important to understand now is just the interconnectedness of the world, right? Um, something that happens in one place or in one country can very quickly spread and affect other countries. Um, and so we do need to have a heightened awareness now as compared to times in the past of, of you know, what emerging risks there are in each country, not only to ideally provide assistance to whatever country is dealing with an emerging crisis, but also in understanding that um, you want to prevent that crisis or that risk from spreading to other parts of the world. Um, so, you know, open and honest communication country and kind of to, you know, the World Health Organizations, to these international bodies that ideally would be, uh, you know, kind of overseeing these uh, situations as they unfold. Moving forward, there needs to be our greater investment in public health and emergency management. Something else I should mention is that emergency management is not alone responsible for pandemics and managing them. Uh, we have public health folks doing uh, a lot of, have been working nonstop around the world. Actually, traditionally, and for like smaller public health emergencies for epidemics and some other types of like medical related risk. Public health is usually the kind of the lead agency for those. Uh, in the United States, that's how uh, the response started here was that our, our health and human service agency issued the first uh, emergency declarations, uh, which was a public health emergency declaration. And our emergency management agencies were actually supporting the work of public health. In the past uh, I've lost all sense of time, but I think in like the past two weeks or so, uh, we've uh, seen a, a bit of a shift there. So public health is still working nonstop, but we've seen that um, our federal emergency management agency is actually now the lead federal agency for federal coordination, which is maybe too technical. But uh, again, just to raise awareness that there's emergency management and public health, they kind of run parallel to each other. Ideally, they're working with one another. So the main point is that there are agencies and mechanisms in place in every country that work day and night at this moment to manage the situations and try to find a way so that this pandemic can pass as smoothly as humanly possible with people acting so that we can still get the medical attention that we need, the food supply, and even electricity and water. The smartest people in the world are working on this and we have to trust in our communities and our institutions that they will work. And hopefully, we can slowly start looking into the future. So as we look forward to the future, uh, we want to be doing things related to preparing ourselves, you know, as we go through this response and, and recovery, which will take years from this, right? Uh, we do also want to be thinking about what we can do to prevent something like this from happening again. And there are a number of just really obvious things that public health and emergency management experts have been screaming about for a really long time, right? You need a serious financial investment in public health and emergency management systems. Um, you need to see extensive planning for these types of events. Uh, you need to see trainings and exercises being done among these response agencies. Um, you need to see 
uh, in the United States, this is a big one. Ideally, we would see the ability for folks to have health insurance and access to health care. Um, you know, there, there's some like major, major policy shifts that uh, would be helpful to have. Um, and, uh, you know, some of those kind of fall within the purview of emergency management, some fall within public health, some fall more broadly. Um, but there, there's a lot that we need to be doing here. Um, I, I will say that, you know, uh, in, by many measures, the United States was not prepared for this scenario, the evidence being everything that is now happening. Uh, however, that is not to say that nothing had been done to plan for a pandemic. Um, in fact, there had been, uh, there's, you know, a number of pandemic-related plans across the country, again, at different levels of government. Um, as the Trump administration uh, took over in 2016, the Obama administration ran an exercise uh, with the incoming teams that was nearly an identical scenario to what is unfolding now. Um, and so to say that we had done nothing to prepare or that no one was thinking about this is absolutely not true, right? Um, but uh, there definitely was an underinvestment throughout the past few years. There's a number of examples of the Trump administration cutting funding or threatening to cut funding to Center for Disease Control and other public health and emergency management related agencies. Um, notoriously, there was the firing of the White House pandemic team a couple of years ago. Um, and so, again, when you are dealing with a disaster, it's not just, uh, you know, how you respond in the moment once it's unfolding. It's all of the work that you've done. So it is important to understand that it's not only what's happening now that helps us deal with the situation but also what's happening in the previous years and how are these agencies ready to deal with everything so there is a preparedness work that's happening every day for all of those agencies so hopefully when we get through this there's the hope that there will be an initiative by officials to help and fund more of these agencies and keep the preparedness level high for the next time this happens because the road to recovery for now is a long one. This shelter in place orders, quarantine are uh, in various ways. The, the way that those are actually manifesting in different places looks differently. But generally, this idea that you're staying home and not going anywhere uh, is an action that we need to take right now in order to flatten the curve, uh, which is kind of another phrase that has come about in the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, and again, here, the is that you want to try to minimize the number of cases that you have, one, just to minimize those cases, but two, to not overwhelm your healthcare system, right? Um, and, uh, and so this idea that we're going to stay home is all to not necessarily prevent this from happening, but just to kind of spread out the cases again, so that we have uh, not overwhelm that hospital capacity and also to buy us some time to catch up on getting ventilators, getting that personal uh, protective equipment um, and whatnot, right? So emergency managers, the recommendations that they're giving are primarily coming from folks in public health that are working closely with uh, epidemiologists to, to make those recommendations. Um, what was the second part of your question? Sorry. 
uh, basically how do we slowly transition oh. yeah so um in terms of transitioning out of this so uh something important to point out is that we are in response now and we have been for several months and we're going to continue to be for several months in the united states this is really unusual because uh if you remember responses uh, the time period where we're doing life-saving measures and typically during a disaster like a, you know, a tornado or a hurricane, those life-saving measures are really only happening over the course of a couple days and like maybe a couple of weeks. It's a really, really short period of time. Um, and in this situation, we're talking about this response unfolding for many, many months. And, um, so, you know, we're going to be in this for a while. At some point, there will be a day when we're told we can leave our houses again. Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't know when that is going to be. It, it really depends on a lot of different factors right now. Um, and I think kind of the definitive date, uh, from what I understand, would be when there is a vaccine. I am hopeful that it will be before then because we're still many months away from that. Um, but you know, there's, there are things that can change this, right? In the United States, we still do not have widespread testing. Um, and that, you know, potentially there's some potential there for, you know, things to be kind of reopening if there's widespread testing, um, again, kind of de depends on how the virus may evolve, how, um, how well we're able to flatten that curve, right? Um, we, we've taken a pretty uh, kind of ad hoc approach to issuing shelter in place orders across the United States right now. Every state and every community within states are, are doing something different um, and are on kind of a different time frame. And so it makes it kind of hard to assess for the whole country when we'll be out of this. But um, again, so some different scenarios there in terms of kind of when when that could take place. But um, we're, we're still many weeks, many months away, I would say. So, yeah, when we stay at home, it is very important to do so because we're actually helping to not flood hospitals. We don't flood labs that do the tests. So it is very important to do that, but it is important to understand that the resources that we don't use uh, can be used to actually help with solving this problem. Extensive testing will help identify people that are positive with the coronavirus, and even if they are asymptomatic, they can be quarantined and protect others, especially people in the front line, like doctors and nurses. We need more than anything at this moment. However, there are many people that are adversely affected by these stay-at-home measures uh, and there are assistance programs that are there to help. Uh, again, I'll use the United States here just because every country is different and the yeah, U.S. is what I'm most familiar with. But um, So in the United States, we have the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. They are kind of our national emergency managers. They're an agency within the federal government. Uh, and FEMA has a number of, uh, of what we call assistance programs. So they have public assistance programs, which uh, provide funding to local communities and states to do things like rebuild roads, rebuild public buildings after a disaster has happened, reimburse 
local communities for the cost of response. Um, and then there's also individual assistance programs, uh, and these are programs that give money and resources directly to individuals that have been affected by disasters. Um, these There's kind of a, a complex declaration, a disaster declaration process uh, that uh, FEMA and states and the White House have to go through in order to open up these programs and to have funding flow to state and local governments and individuals. Um, we are still in the midst of issuing those declarations in the United States right now. This is something I'm critical of in this response. This should be already done. Um, we're having to go, we, we have some national declarations that have been made that have opened up uh, funding and resources, but we are, uh, for, for those individual assistance programs, we, uh, and some of that public assistance money through FEMA, we're still going state by state. So the governor of a state has to request the declaration, FEMA and the president have to sign off on it. Um, so it's it's taking a while, um, but there there has been funding that's been opened up for states through that. However, um, as last I checked yesterday, um, they still had not opened up the individual assistance a program uh, individual assistance programs with the exception of uh, some mental health service related funding. Um, what this means is that, uh, you know, when there's a hurricane and they open up individual assistance, homeowners can apply and they can get thousands of dollars to help them cover their costs and rebuild their house. It's never enough money. Um, it's uh, on average, after Hurricane Sandy, for example, the average homeowner got like $7,000. It's not you know, enough to rebuild your house or anything, but it's something. Uh, those programs have not been opened up for this situation, um, which is, uh, you know, a, an interesting decision that has been made. Um, so those programs exist. They are not being used or utilized fully right now. Uh, could that change? Potentially, yes. Uh, will that change? I do not know. Um, I'll also, so... Uh, I'll also point out that kind of outside of FEMA, there are other agencies across the federal government that are in charge of things like unemployment insurance, um, you know, food stamps, so people can eat or, or run through other agencies. So there are other kind of social service programs that exist across the federal government that um, could be kind of retooled or used in a more um, effective way to meet people's needs across the country. So it was very easy for this episode to be bleak and make everyone sad, but I did not do this because we definitely have lots of that at this moment. There's been many instances here in Singapore, in Greece, in Italy, and like everywhere in the world actually, where people are there for one another and have actively tried to help by even the simple stuff of getting groceries to older people. And of course the US is no exception. In any disaster, I think it's important to kind of look at the small wins that you have. Um, so uh, there's a couple things. Uh, one is uh, like mutual aid networks that have kind of sprung up across the country. This happens during every disaster, right, where neighbors help neighbors, um, that there's like spontaneous efforts to help people meet 
their needs throughout the disaster, right? We spend a lot of time thinking about the kind of more formal response that happens through government agencies and, uh, you know, existing organizations. But actually, in times of disaster, there's all of these informal efforts that are, um, you know, doing incredible things and meeting the needs of people throughout communities. Um, And we're, of course, definitely seeing that happen now. There's a million examples online of, you know, people kind of organizing themselves within their apartment buildings so that they can, um, the younger people can go out and buy food for the elderly folks so they don't need to leave their apartments. Um, And, you know, people donating extra food that they have to their local food pantry, Uh, We're seeing local nonprofits that are kind of repurposing their networks to get food distributed out to people, right? All these different examples, like in any community, you can find examples of this. So those are always like good and hopeful things, right? It's always, I think the like brightest light for me in emergency management work is that contrary to this uh, kind of popular narrative about people uh, panicking and there being just mass chaos and antisocial behavior during disasters. Actually, we are quite pro-social and we come together and we help one another. Um, so that is definitely a positive thing. Um, I do also think that something for me, and this is like pretty specific uh, to the U.S. and kind of the system we have here, but um, I've been really hopeful to see that there are politicians at a local level, like mayors of towns um, and also a couple governors that are taking this completely seriously as they should be. Again, just like doing their job, Um, but that they are, you know, not necessarily waiting for the federal government to take action, right, that they are working with their own experts in their state, working with their state level CDC offices and whatnot to um, take more immediate action. Not every governor is doing that, unfortunately, but there are some that are doing that. So that also, I think, is a positive sign. Um, And, you know, there, you know, even though uh, there's uh, clearly much incompetence going on at at various levels here, um, there are also, you know, the smartest people in the world working to solve this. And, um, you know, it, things are bleak right now. Uh, Unfortunately, there will be a pretty significant loss of life. There already has been, but um, this is not the like actual apocalypse. We will like, as a country get through this, there will be again, a day that we can leave our houses. Um, And, you know, overall people are coming together to work together to get us to that place. Um, And so that for me, at least is hopeful. I think I'm going to leave it at that. We're definitely living in a weird part of history. And the only way we can get out of this is by trust and cooperation. And when I say trust, I mean trust between us and also trust to the institutions that are in place. Because all these institutions were not built in the last four, five, ten years. There's like tens and tens of years of work to build and put those institutions there in place so that all of us can be safe and healthy. I hope that you are keeping safe and try your best to keep sane while staying indoors. Look at the bright side than the fact that we're living in 2020 and the internet is so prevalent and you can Skype your loved ones, you can online chat, 
especially uh, in the last few weeks where we are all working from home I've seen a lot of online events for games for even theater shows that can be seen online thank you very much for listening share this episode subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and use the hashtag LefteriasAskScience to give suggestions or ask questions that I'll try to do my best to give the answers to until we meet again take care keep learning and be kind.